And so one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible is here in Deuteronomy chapter 6. So raise your hand if you're there. Do we have everybody there in Deuteronomy 6? Praise the Lord. And I hope that you've got something that you can take some notes with because I never want us to come to the word of God and leave the same. The Bible says that this is like a mirror. And if we look into it, it should cause us to make changes. How many of you looked in the mirror this morning and made changes? My daughter can testify, I did not look like this when I woke up this morning, right? Your hair is probably crazy. You might have some mascara coming down your face from last night you forgot to take off. You might have that like wrinkle from the pillow. When we look into a mirror, we make changes. And everybody is so glad that we do. That's the same way with this book. When we look into God's word, we should never stay the same. Deuteronomy chapter 6, start with me in verse 4. God's word says, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your city gates. Let's pray and then we're going to jump into God's word. Heavenly Father, we pause our minds, and our hearts before you today, acknowledging that you are the Lord God Almighty, the one that we sing, Hosanna, worthy, holy are you, Lord. You are the one who spoke and brought this entire universe into existence. You are the one who upholds it with your righteous right hand. And you are the one who knows the hairs on our heads, the thoughts in our mind, the worries of our hearts. Lord God, I praise you today that you are El Roy, the God who sees And we come before you today as your desperate children, crying out to you that, God, you would illuminate your word in our hearts. Forgive us, God, for how we have sinned against you. Forgive us when we love the things of this world more than we love you. Help us, Lord God, to love you more. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ladies, this passage that I just read to you is called the Shema. In Hebrew, S-H-E-M-A. And that's a word that means hear. It's taken from the very first word in this passage, listen or hear. For the Hebrew people, this passage, the Shema, is kind of like the Lord's Prayer is to us as Christians. This is a passage that the Hebrew people recite over and over and over again. It is pivotal to who they are. 
And I believe it is pivotal to who we are as well, the Shema. Now, this passage, let me give you a little bit of context of where this passage is happening. Do you remember how Abraham left his father's family and went to the land that God showed him? He had Isaac, who had Jacob, who had the 12 sons, 11 of which sold their youngest brother, Joseph, into slavery. He went down to Egypt, and then God used Joseph to save the family when there was a famine in Israel, and the Israelites ended up in slavery in Egypt. After many years of bondage, God sends the plagues and Pharaoh finally lets the people go. And Moses marches out with over a million people, leading them to the promised land. Well, you know the story if you've read the Bible. They get into that desert and they begin to complain. Anybody else ever complain? God, why did you bring us out here to die? We wish we were still in Egypt. We loved the food of Egypt, and now we've just got this stuff called manna. And God ends up having them wander in the wilderness for 40 years because the people worshiped idols, they were complaining, and it took them 40 years to get Egypt out of them. Well, now they are on the mountains of Moab, overlooking the promised land of Canaan, where they are finally about to go in. And Moses is giving the people some of his final words before he will be, as the Bible says, gathered to his people. You see, Moses wasn't going to be able to take them into the promised land because he too had disobeyed God. And Joshua would lead the people from the wilderness and the mountains of Moab into the land of Canaan, the promised land flowing with milk and honey. But before they go in, Moses, their leader, had some final words to say to them. And these are them. And that's why for the Hebrew people, the Shema is so important because these were some of the final words that Moses had given them before they would go into the promised land. Now, it's interesting because I told you, it starts with the word hear or listen, right? Now, this carries the idea of like when a mom gets right in her child's face and she says, listen to me. Y'all know that word? Y'all know that? Y'all know what that means? We're not just saying we want you to hear our words, right? We're saying we want you to hear these words and obey these words, right? This has the context of listen to these words. They are your life and you are to obey them. I can remember the first time my mom, my mom told me, listen, Tara. She was not telling me, I just want you to hear my words. She was telling me she wanted me to do something. So Moses is telling the people, hear me, listen to me, Shema. Now you would think right after that, there would be like a command to do something, right? But look there in verse four. Listen, Israel. And then there's a statement, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. You might be asking, okay, he wants us to hear and obey. Why is he telling us the Lord is God and the Lord is one? What he is saying here is you have to love the Lord by knowing him. 
That's your first point if you're taking, taking notes today. Love the Lord by knowing him. He starts with this fact statement. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. He is telling his people, you've got to know who your God is. Remember, they had come out of the land of Egypt that had thousands of gods. It was a polytheistic culture where they worshiped everything. The sun, the moon, the stars, the harvest, the Nile River, death and Hades. They had a God for everything. Wine, fertility, crops. I mean, you name it. There was a God for it. And they had come out of the land of Egypt, a polytheistic culture, and they were going into the land of Canaan, a polytheistic culture. They worshipped Baal, and they worshipped Baal of all these names, idols, golden statues. And what God was speaking through Moses was this, your God is not like those gods. The Lord is God, capital G, and he is one. Ladies, we don't serve the gods of this world. We don't serve a rain God and a moon God and a Nile River God and a God of death and a God of fertility. We serve the one true God. And Moses is telling the people, he is reminding the people, your God is the only God and he is one. Now, ladies, I don't know if you have ever traveled to another culture that has a polytheistic religion but my first mission trip was to Malaysia. And in that culture, they worship many gods, especially Buddha is who they worship. And I can remember one day our tour guide brought us to a Buddhist temple. And as we walked in, we passed all these altars of incense and there was smoke and there was water. And we walked in and the temple was about this size. It was huge. And all along the back wall, I mean, picture from that wall to that wall, there was an entire golden statue, a Buddha, laying on his back with his arms folded like this. His foot was taller than me. So you can imagine the massive size of this Buddha. And in front of Buddha was all these piles of food and water. And people were kneeling in front of the piles of food and water, shaking dice and rocking back and forth. And I asked my tour guide, I said, do you mind me asking, what are they doing? He said, oh, they are trying to wake up Buddha. And I said, okay. I said, he says, they shake the dice to try to wake him up. And they rock back and forth, praying that he will wake up. I said, well, what are all the food and water that you have here? And they said, oh, if he wakes up, he is going to be very hungry. So we have to have this here in case he wakes up. I said, well, has he ever woken up? <laughs> oh, no, Buddha is very tired, very tired. I said, well, what do you do with all the food and water? He said, we throw it away every night, and we have to bring it back the next morning. And I began to weep. Because ladies, they are spending their lives 
worshiping a statue made by man who will never live. You and I serve the one true God. He does not ever need sleep. He does not ever need food and water like you and I do. He never needs us to wake him up. He is God. And aren't you so glad that our God doesn't need the things that we need? Aren't you glad that we serve a God who never leaves his throne, who never grows tired of us, who never stops activating and interceding for us, and who doesn't need the things that we need? Ladies, even though you and I don't worship Buddha, make no mistake, America is a polytheistic culture. We have idols that we worship here. We worship money. We worship fame and popularity. We worship our own names and how many likes we have on social media and what our platforms are. We worship fitness. We worship material possessions. And this is what I know. You and I were to created to worship. And if you and I are worshiping anything other than the one true God, we are worshiping idols. Idols made by human hands that are not living and will never satisfy. Just like the Hebrew people, we need to hear this. The Lord is God and the Lord is one. And ladies, I love that God starts with knowing him because look at the actual command that comes in verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. What Moses is telling the people is, you cannot love me if you do not know me. We have to know God first. We have to know who he is. We have to know that there is no one else like him. He is incomprehensible. He is omnipresent, which means he's everywhere. He is omniscient, which means he knows all things. We need to know he is loving and he is merciful and he is holy and he is good. And when we know that, we will love him rightly. But we cannot love something that we do not know. And so, ladies, I want to ask you a question today. Do you know God? And is it more than just a head knowledge? Do you know him so much that you love him with everything that is in you? Because we are commanded, love the Lord by knowing him. I can remember my husband and I, we met when we were in high school. I was 14, he was 18. It was the week after he became a Christian. And he was so excited about this new Jesus that he was cursing with four-letter words because those are the only words he knew. He was so rough. He had been arrested twice before coming to know Jesus. He had come from a broken family. And he came to a centrifuge youth camp and met Jesus. And I can remember he was so excited. He is just Blankety blank, 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 Jesus. And our youth group was like, you cannot talk like that. We know you are excited about Jesus, but we got to use some other words. That is now your seminary president at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. God has such a way of transforming. 
I'll tell you this, y'all. He started trying his senior year in high school after he got saved, and he graduated with a 1.6 GPA. There was one community college that would take him, and now he has two PhDs and has authored seven books. God changes lives. But I'll tell you this. When we first met, I thought he was really cute. He had blue eyes, and they just captured my heart. And then as we started dating, I started really liking him. And I can remember when we got engaged, I thought I really loved him. And the day that we married, I loved him with everything that I could. But now, 23 years later, I know him so much more, and I love him so much more. You see, the more you know someone, the more you will love them. And it is a deeper, richer love than you can ever imagine. I have been walking with Jesus since I was five years old. I met him at a Billy Graham crusade, and I have never gotten over him. But I can remember as a five-year-old trusting Jesus with all that my little five-year-old heart could do. And I had my little children's Bible, and I'd look at the pictures, and I'd read the stories. But now, goodness, 38 years later, oh my goodness, do I know my God better. I have walked with him through the valleys. I have seen him bring dry bones to life. I've seen his faithfulness. I have felt his love. I have experienced his comfort. And I'll tell you this, ladies, I love the Lord so much more today than I did when I was five years old. And if you think back on your life, I pray that you could say the same. God, I love you so much more now because I know you. I have seen your faithfulness. I have seen your goodness. I have seen your provision in my life. I have seen that I can trust you. Because ladies, we really can't love the Lord until we know him. And so that's your first point. Love the Lord by knowing him. Your second point is this. Love his word. Love the Lord by knowing him and then love his word. Look with me, starting in verse four again. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Oh, pause right there. I forgot to tell you. When he's dividing us up like that, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. He's not saying make God like a TV dinner. Y'all remember TV dinners that had like all those separate compartments? I'm going to love God with my heart. I'm going to love God with my soul. I'm going to love God with my strength. I'm going to love God on Sundays and not else during the week. No, God's not a TV dinner. That would probably not be a good quote to put on Facebook. God is not a TV dinner. But I learned about this thing after moving to New Orleans called gumbo. God is more like a gumbo. His love is like the roux that touches everything. His love is like that sauce that permeates the meat and the vegetables and gives everything its flavor. When Moses tells the people, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, what he is saying is, love him with your whole being. Your life is like a big pot of gumbo and God's love needs to be infiltrating everything. 
You better love God on Sundays as much as you do on Thursday mornings. God is the same God whether you're sitting here in this church or whether you're at your house or at your workplace. You are to love God with your whole life. That's what he's saying there. Okay, love the Lord by knowing him. Now look at verse six. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Do you see that? Ladies, we are to love God's word. His word should be in our hearts. His word should be in our minds. His word should be on our lips. We are called to love the Lord by knowing him, and then we are called to be lovers of his word. And that's where we get this theme today, be women of the word. Now, ladies, as I told you, they had been in the wilderness for 40 years. They had been eating manna every morning. Manna was like a sweet honey bread that rained down from heaven and covered the grass every day. And they were to go out and collect it every day. The same concept is in the New Testament where Jesus says, I am your bread of life. And then he prays, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Give us today our daily bread. What he is saying is, give us today the word that will sustain us. Give us this day what we need from you in your word. And Moses tells the people, these words I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. What Moses was telling the people is remember the love of God. Remember the commands of God and keep his words just like we eat that manna. Keep his words in your heart. I once saw a meme that said, you can't eat off the dollar menu at McDonald's and look like a million bucks. And it kind of uh, convicted me because I love the dollar menu at McDonald's. But what it was getting at is this, we are what we eat. So if all you're eating is cheeseburgers and french fries off the dollar menu, you are not going to look like a million bucks. And ladies, if you and I are not consuming God's word, then we're not going to look like our God. We will look like this world. We will look like what we watch. We will look like what we see. We will look like those we hang out with. But God's word is clear. He has given us his image. We are made in his image and in his likeness. That's Genesis 1 and 2. And then he says throughout scripture, be holy as I am holy. Be patient as I am patient. Imitate me as I follow Christ, right? We are to be image bearers, meaning we have got to know this word, love this word, and look like our God to those that are around us. And before we can give this word to anyone else, it's got to be in us. It's got to be in our hearts. We've got to be eating it and consuming it. Before you can have overflowing joy, it's got to be in you, and then it can overflow. Ladies, if you are like an empty pitcher, you can't pour out on anybody else. You have got to be so filled by God and his word that then it splashes out on everyone around you. So I want to ask you, what are you eating on a daily basis? Are you a woman of his word? Are you eating his word like it is your very life because it is? 
I was just telling Jennifer, and I'll send this to her so she can distribute it to you. Lifeway came out with a study where they looked at the number of times that people read their Bible in a week and the effects of it. People who read their Bible one time a week, like on a Sunday morning when the preacher is preaching, there was zero difference in their life the rest of the week. If they read the Bible one other time, sometime during the week, no difference in their life. Three times a week, no difference in their life. But once you cross the four times a week, of intaking the word of God, the statistics are startling. The people began to experience a humongous decrease in depression, in loneliness, in anxiety, in purpose in life, in overall joy and love. And so you wanna know what the cure is for our world today? Read the Bible. Be women who love this book who read it, not like a Tums, like, oh, I'm having a problem. Let me see what God's word says. No. We are to be women who consume it, not to know about us, but to know about who he is. This book was written for us to know about the reign and the rule of our God, because the more we know God, the more we know ourselves. We cannot know who we are until we know who he is. And so, ladies, I challenge you, be women who read the Bible at least four times a week. I love that y'all have D groups here. I love that you've got these accountability groups. I was talking to Dustin. I was talking to Jennifer about it. Praise the Lord for First Baptist Chipley. I am so excited that you've got these resources of just reading God's word in community and letting it sharpen you and challenge you and convict you. One thing I know is this, his word is alive and active and it is sharper than any two-edged sword and it will pierce us where it needs to and it will make us look more like him. And so if you're not involved, please come see Jennifer. Please come get involved in one of these D groups. It's not hard. You can do it. Did you know that there are something like 60 15-minute increments in your day and you can't give one of those to reading God's Word? We all have plenty of time for what's important to us. I never miss a meal. Somehow, I always eat three meals a day. And I never miss having to go to the bathroom. I have to do that a lot. I had two sets of twins. But bottom line is this, y'all. We make time for the things that we feel like we have to do. Reading God's word is your very life. Make time for it in your day. Okay, love the Lord by knowing him. Number two, love his word. Number three, love other people. Look with me after he says, these words I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Then in verse seven, he says this, repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. 
ladies, what he is saying to us is this. We first have to be people who know and love God. Then we have to be people who love his word and are consuming it on a daily basis. And only after those two things can then we truly love other people the way we're supposed to. And really, these are the two greatest commands, love God and love others, right? But I love what he says here is this great order. We have to know our God and love him first. Then we have to have his words be in our heart, in our minds, on our lips. And only after that can we love others properly. And I love where it says at the beginning, repeat them. Did you know that it sometimes takes us 13 times to hear or see something for us to remember it? 13 times. And so what this is saying is as you are consuming God's word, repeat it to people that are around you. Encourage other people with what God's teaching you. I just love what you shared from Ezekiel. It's so beautiful, y'all. What if you're part of a D group, you're reading, and God challenges you, and then throughout that day, you're giving people the manna that you were given, and you're encouraging them with whatever they're going through. I was just in the book of Numbers where God had sent a plague on the people, and Moses made a snake out of bronze and lifted it on a pole, and if the people looked up at that snake, they would be healed. And it was such a reminder to me that our God hung on a cross for you and I. And when we look to him, we too are healed. And as God gave that to me that morning, that afternoon I was talking with a woman who needed to know she needed to turn her eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face so that the things of this earth would grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You see, ladies, God doesn't just give us a word for us. He gives it to us so we can give it to others. And we are to love them by giving them the words of life. I'll tell y'all, we live in a broken world. We live in a world that is hurting. We live in a world that is full of darkness. And you and I have the medicine they need. You and I have the hope that they need. His name is Jesus. And he's given us this word so that we'll know him and we can love others. So first of all, repeat them. And then you see where. Talk about it when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. What Moses is saying is everywhere you go, talk about Jesus. If you're in your house, talk about him. If you're driving down the road, talk about him. If you're at work, talk about him. From the time you get up in the morning until the time you go to bed at night. And one thing I know about us women, we talk about the things we love. Think about what you shared with people this week. Did you try out a new restaurant that you really liked? That you told somebody about it. Did you find a TV show you really liked? That you told somebody about it. Did you read a book you really liked that you told somebody about it? Did you get a good deal on that shirt that you told somebody about it? Why? We talk about what we love. Do you really love God? Do you really love his word? Are you talking about him? Because, see, we talk about the things we love. And Moses is telling them, if you really love the Lord, if you really know him and love him, and if you love his word, then you're going to talk about him wherever you go. 
from the morning until the night. And ladies, we're not responsible for what they do with it. We are only responsible for us. And God commands us, talk about him. Talk about him when you're at your house, when you're walking along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, talk about him. And then I love what he says next in verse eight. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your city gates. Now, ladies, if you ever get a chance to go to Israel, you will see the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, literally do this. They have these things called phylacteries, which are leather strips that have these words on them, the Shema. And they wrap them around their hands, binding them as a sign on their hands. And then they put these crazy boxes on their forehead that have a scroll that has these words in it, and they walk around. It's crazy looking. And then if you look on their doorposts of their doors, there will be a little scroll that also has these words on them. The Hebrew people think, the Jewish people think that they are doing and obeying what God said to do because they are binding them on their hands, putting them on their foreheads, and putting them on the doorposts of their gates. But God is not saying walk around with crazy boxes on your head and crazy straps on your hands. What he is saying is this, let everything you touch be an example of who he is. May every thought in your brain be an example of who he is. May your home be decorated with things that share about who he is. Y'all, we put out flags for our favorite sports teams. We decorate and we wear shirts that talk about the sports teams we love. Who in here is an FSU fan? Who's a UF fan? Who's an Alabama fan? Mm -hmm. Who's an LSU fan? Anybody? All right. We display our sports teams proudly. God didn't say, put your sports team on your house. He said, put me on your house. Do you have scripture in your home displayed on your walls? When people walk into your home, can they tell that you love God? Do you have things that remind you of his goodness and his beauty all around you in your home? Do you wear things that show other people that you're a Christian? Do you have bumper stickers on your car that show that you love Jesus? What Deuteronomy chapter 6 is saying is this. Display me wherever you go. The New Testament says it like this. We are to be salt and light in this world. We should taste and look different to the world around us. And ladies, one of the best ways that we can love other people is by showing them Jesus. Because you're around people every day that might not ever step foot in this church. You might be the only Bible they ever see. You might be the only Christian they ever talk to. Do they know the love of God after they leave you? Do they know that there is hope and his name is Jesus? If we truly love God, 
And if we truly love his word, then it will spill out on everyone around us and they will too know the love of God. And ladies, I think that's what it means to be women of the word. We have got to be women who love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and strength. We've got to know who he is. He is one and he is God. Second of all, we've got to love his word. We've got to be taking it in like our daily bread. We've got to know it. We've got to hide it in our hearts. And we've got to love it. And thirdly, we need to love one another. We do that by talking about Jesus and by displaying him with the works of our hands and by the way that we live. And so, ladies, it is my prayer that you and I will leave here changed today and truly be women of the word. Let's pray. Our God, oh, how we love you. Thank you for rescuing and redeeming us. Just like the Israelites, we had been enslaved in bondage of sin, but you redeemed us and you rescued us. And we too are standing on a mountaintop looking at the promised land of living the way you want us to live. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would shema these words that we would hear and obey these words and that we would be women who love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that we would be women who love your word and that we would be women who love other people. And Lord Jesus, I know that in a crowd this size, there might be a woman here who does not know you and who cannot love you because she's never met you. If she is in this room today, I pray that she would repeat these words after me. Dear God, I need you. I am a sinner who is in desperate need of a Savior. Lord God, come into my heart today. Be my master and be my Savior and help me to live for you for the rest of my days. I know that there might be other ladies in this room who know you, but who have not been walking with you, who have not been loving you the way they should. Ladies, if that is you today, repeat after me. Dear God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for loving the idols of this world more than you. Help me, Lord Jesus, to love you with all that I am, to be a woman of your word and to live a life that is different than the world around me. And maybe you're in this room and you know God and you love him and you love his word, but you have not been sharing with other people. Pray this after me. Dear God, help me to be a woman who loves others the way I am supposed to. Help your word of hope and gospel of peace to be on my lips. Help me to share you with everyone that's around me. Help my life to be a display of who you are. Make me salt and light in this world. And dear God, you are the God who sees. 
You are the God who hears. And I know that you have heard the prayers of your precious saints today. Lord Jesus, make us different. Make us women of the word. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, ladies, let's get started. Thank you for submitting your questions. I am so grateful for you being here and excited for us to spend this time just getting to dig into more of what Tara has been able to share with her, with us, and then more about her and her life. Uh, so first question, what advice can you give a working mother of multiple young children to ensure their time with the Lord isn't put off? Great question. So don't look at your time with the Lord like a checklist, where if you spend five minutes with him, then you're good. As a busy young mom, oftentimes my quiet time didn't look like it used to when I was in college. It wouldn't be 30 minutes of being able to study his word. I might be able to read one verse and then kind of be like a cow that chews on it all day long. I think that's kind of what it means to abide with him is that you're constantly thinking about his word and abiding in his presence. And so um, make it a priority. Maybe try to get up 10 minutes before uh, you normally would for work and consume God's word or write it on a post-it note that you could bring with you throughout the day. Stick it by your mirror as you're brushing your teeth. Stick it in your car. Stick it on your desk at work. I'm a huge proponent of worship music, especially worship music that just sings the scripture over you. If you're not familiar with Shane and Shane, they are beautiful, amazing musicians that have put a lot of the Psalms right to scripture. And so as you're singing, you're actually memorizing scripture and it's just beautiful. So my biggest um, advice would be this, don't make it like a checklist. Make it something that you eat and think about all day long, wherever you're going and whatever you're doing. And so don't feel bad if it can only be a five-minute quiet time or whatever. That is okay. Well, I think our next question kind of bounces off of that. Some, some of the strategies that you're talking about, I say strategies, that sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> but to me, I'm very analytical, so I have to make a yeah. plan most of the time. Yeah. Uh, but would you share with us some of the best ways to have, um, that you've experienced maybe, in helping to memorize scripture? Okay, here is a cheat. A lazy girl scripture memory. Are you ready? Read a passage over and over and over and over again. I know it sounds crazy, but the more you read it, the more it will just become part of who you are. And so I am a huge proponent of rereading a verse over and over. So if you're in a D group and you are trying to memorize, like let's say 1 Corinthians 1 or whatever you're memorizing right there, Write that verse down on an index card and read it over and over and over again. And before you realize it, you will just know it. Uh, see if you can put it to a little jingle or a little song. That always helps too. But this I know. You and I have brains that were created to memorize. The Hebrew people did not have a copy of God's word like you and I did. And so they would literally hear God's word and have to remember it for it to be in their heart. They did not have a Bible that they could look back on. So God created our brains to memorize. You've memorized the Pledge of Allegiance. You've memorized your favorite songs. You've probably memorized famous passages or vows that you have done, right? Um, I take you to be my wedded husband for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, right? We memorize things all the time. 
if you went through high school and you did algebra two and chemistry and physics, if you have done college, you can do hard things. Memory is not hard. It's just a muscle that you have to work. So read the passage over and over and over. Put it to scripture memory. Put it to a song. And before, no, before you know it, it'll be in your heart. All right. So putting it into practice yep. leads us to our next question then. How do you practically implement talking about Jesus throughout your day? Oh, my goodness. You can get to Jesus with anything. Um, if you're sitting at a restaurant, okay, this is one of my favorite ways to do this. If you're sitting at a restaurant, your waitress takes your order or your waiter takes your order, and then you say, I'm a Christian. I'm going to pray for my food. Is there anything I could pray for you about? Okay, super easy. If you are at the grocery store and your cashier is ringing out your groceries, you can just say, how are you doing today? I hope people have been kind to you today. And they'll probably be like, oh, my gosh, you won't believe this person, right? And you're like, I'm a Christian, and I love Jesus, and I'm so sorry that people are not kind to you today. I'm really thankful for how hard you're working, and I can see what you're doing. Do you see how easy it is? Anything can get to Jesus. And listen, I have never had somebody tell me that I can't pray for them, even if they don't want to talk about Jesus. If I ask them, how can I pray for you, they will sometimes say things like pray for good health or pray for good vibes or whatever. And I'll say things like, I hope Jesus makes himself really known to you today. He loves you very much. Uh, we keep uh, bags in our car. In New Orleans, we have a lot of homeless people that are experiencing homelessness. They often live under our bridges and our overpasses. And so the kids and I have made little goodie bags that will have sometimes like a water bottle or a pair of socks or like a Slim Jim or a granola bar in it. And it has a track in there. And when we stop at a stoplight, we pass one of those out the window. And I always ask them what their name is because they're real people made in the image of God. And God loves them. And they're often experiencing homelessness, maybe because of a bad decision or maybe because life has been really hard for them. But the difference between them and us is we know Jesus. And so I ask them what their name is. I tell them that Jesus loves them. And I ask them if there's anything I can pray for you about. So ladies, you can get to Jesus with anything, right? You can even get to Jesus by talking about the weather. Are you so glad for this day that God has made? He is such a good creator. I love how the birds are singing, the sun is shining, the trees are getting new buds. I mean, you can literally get to God about anything. If you love him, he's going to be constantly on your mind and on your heart, and you're going to talk about him. So get to Jesus. Tell people that he loves them. Ask him how you can pray for him. As a ministry wife, what wisdom would you give to others walking in that same calling? Loving and knowing God and his word first well would be understood, but anything come to mind to expound on that? So this is what I did my dissertation on. My dissertation research um, was on ministry wives because I was a ministry, I am a ministry wife, but as I got married to my husband who was a pastor, I became a pastor's wife in the same week that I became a wife. I was 21. I can remember um, the search committee wanted to interview me and I changed my clothes five times before I went. And my husband's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't look like a pastor's wife. He's like, you're my wife. That's all you have to look like. And, of course, I get there, and the first question they asked me was, do I play the piano? And I said, no. I mean, I wish I could play like that. I wish I could. And I said, I'm so sorry. I cannot play the piano. And they're like, oh. All of our pastor's wives play the piano. And in my mind, I'm crumbling because I'm like, I don't look like one, and I cannot play the piano. And then they said, will you direct our choir? And I said, well, I love choirs, but I 
don't know anything about choirs. And they're like, oh, all of our pastor's wives direct the choir. And I'm like, who are these ladies? They've got four hands. They're playing the piano. They're directing the choir. And I'm like crumbling, right? And then they said, well, you will sing in the choir, won't you? All of our pastor's wives sing in the choir. And I'm like, how? How? How can they sing in the choir while they're playing the piano and directing the choir? And I said, I really make a very joyful noise. <laughs> you would not want me in your choir. And then they looked at me and they're like, what do you do? And I said, I love Jesus. And I love my husband. And I love his church. And I said, so if I can rock babies in the nursery or pass out bulletins, or I can even be in the parking lot telling people where to park. And I said, but I don't have any of the gifts that you're asking me to use. And we had been there 10 years when I started my doctoral program. And so I ended up writing on pastor's wives because I wondered how many of them were like me, who were thrown into ministry, totally blindsided by the expectations of churches. My husband had gone to seminary, but I hadn't. And so Fast forward eight years, and um, we're now at New Orleans Seminary, and I get to use my doctoral research with a program called Thrive, because I don't want our ministry wives just to survive. I want them to thrive, and I want them to have the encouragement and equipping to serve alongside their husbands, and so um, for spouses of students at New Orleans, it's completely free. We have a donor that has paid for all of the tuition, but we've kept it really low, even for ministry wives who are not connected to the seminary. So anyone can take the classes there online. Um, and some associations and even state conventions have scholarships that will help fund you to come because we believe we need to train both halves of the ministry team. So if you are a ministry wife, please come see me afterward. I would love to tell you more about Thrive. Or if you don't want to talk to me, that's okay www.prepareher.com. That has everything that we have for women because we want to prepare her, whoever the her is, at New Orleans Seminary. And you can click on the tab that says Thrive, and it will tell you all about it. They're not hard classes, I promise you. So, How do you properly manage relationships, friendships, family, um, that are under careers? Pray. Um like you, both on my family and my husband's family, we have um, non-believers, and uh, they think that we're crazy, that we've given our whole lives to serving God and to training up men and women to serve in gospel ministry. Um, and so there's two things that I do all the time. Number one, I pray for them. And I don't expect lost people to act like saved people because they're not. They're lost. And so I don't expect that they're going to understand the things of God. And so I pray that God would open their eyes. The second thing I do is I try to keep my heart really soft to them. I try to keep my, my heart from getting hard when they make comments that hurt my feelings or when we don't get invited to certain things. Uh, so keep your heart really soft to them. God loves them more than you do. And so keep your heart soft, keep loving, keep trying, and you never know the seeds that you plant, how they will come to fruition. No one is too lost to be saved, and God loves them and desires for them to be part of the kingdom. So you pray for them, you keep loving them, and you keep your heart soft to them. How do you deal with life when it seems unfair, but you know that the Bible teaches that God is just? The more you know God, the more you know his justice. He is a God who has a standard of right and wrong, 
and he is a God who promises that he will judge. It's not our place to judge. The world we live in is broken. It is fallen. It is marred by sin. This is not the way God wanted it to be. In Genesis 1 and 2, we see a perfect, beautiful, good world. But in chapter 3 of Genesis, sin enters the world. And from that point on, everything is broken. Everything is twisted. This explains, y'all, why we have things like hurricanes, why we have tornadoes, why we have fires. It explains why we have cancer. It explains why we have viruses like COVID. It explains why we have diseases. It explains why there's infertility or stillbirth or miscarriages. It explains why children, even though we try our very best to teach them to love God, how sometimes they choose a different way. This explains addictions, addictions to drugs, addictions to alcohol, addictions to pornography and sex. This explains sexual immorality, which is adultery and and homosexuality and all the other things that are not the way God wanted it to be. And so, ladies, if you are in a situation where you feel like it is unfair right now, take hope in two things. God sees and his heart breaks for it too. And one day it will be made right. We know that he is coming back. And there is a kingdom that is coming where there will be no more darkness. There will be no more pain. There will be no more diseases. There will be no more tears. And everything will be made right. We are right now living in a shadow of the things to come. And I want to tell you, heaven is real. And it is going to be beautiful. And it is going to be better than we could ever imagine. And I long for that day. I once heard a sermon where the preacher said, until you hate this world, you will not long for heaven. And it struck me because there are times that I love this world, but we are called to not love this world. We are passing through. Our citizenship is in heaven. And sometimes injustice and brokenness helps us to hate this world. And we hate what sin has done to it, and we long for heaven. Well, if we were close enough, I know this question, this next one would come from my youngest child, but I'm pretty sure it's your child that sent this one. Thank you, Natalie. Um, can we stop at Bucky's on the way home? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Natalie is a huge Bucky's fan. As a matter of fact, she has a sweatshirt and sweatpants and a t-shirt from Bucky's already. And uh, they do have really good bathrooms. And until I moved to New Orleans, I had no idea that Disney World and Walmart could have a baby. But then you walk into Bucky's and you're like, this is Disney World and Walmart combined with a little cracker barrel on the side, you know? I think that's a great plan. Um, do you recommend any podcasts? I get asked this question a whole lot. And I am not a podcast listener. I have not quite figured out how to put that in my day. Uh, but I have some friends who are really good podcast people, and so um, I often ask them, what are you listening to? 
So we have a, a podcast at New Orleans Seminary called The Towel in the Basin. Jamie is my husband, and he does that. Um, we want to raise up servants who will take the towel in the basin like Jesus did and wash the, pe- the feet of people around us. And so The Towel in the Basin is a great one. And finally, after four and a half years, it took me writing a book, but he is going to have me on the podcast, and I'm very excited. So look up Towel in the Basin, and you might hear me on that. Um, Another one that I really like is Sally Clarkson. I don't know if you've ever heard of her, but she um, has a podcast that I also really like. I'm sorry that I don't know more than that. All right, we have time for about two more questions. Um, you said you were saved at the age of five and began following God at that time. At what age were you called into ministry? Like, when did it become evident or real to you that that was the path that God was calling you to? I was um, a sophomore in high school. I was at a summer camp, and the, the pastor was preaching. And I can remember when he finished, I felt this overwhelming sense that I just had to go forward. And I did not know why. And when I went forward, um, the counselor met me there, and she's like, so why are you here? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I just know that the Holy Spirit wanted me to come forward, and I think I'm called to serve God for the rest of my life. And she said, well, what do you think you're called to do? And I was like, I don't know. I said, maybe I could be a missionary. Maybe I could be, you know, a a teacher in elementary school and use my classroom as my mission field. I never thought pastor's wife, and I never thought president's wife. I never saw this coming. But one thing I'm thankful for is that that night I prayed and I said, God, my life is yours. And I want to serve you however that looks like. I will go overseas if you're wanting me to do that. I will stay here and I will love the church in America if you want me to do that. Um, But this I know. God writes better stories for our lives than we ever could. And so if you are sensing a call to serve him or a call to ministry of any kind, come talk to me. Because living with Jesus is the best adventure of your whole life. And for some of us, he will call us into vocational ministry where our paychecks come from ministry and serving God. But for others of you, he will use your job as your mission field. And he calls you into the secular world of government or education or medicine or healthcare or whatever it is. And in that place, you are called to serve God. But we're all called to serve him. All right, our last question is coming from an aunt of three, and I think we all been here or know of women that are in the same place as this young lady, but she said, what advice would you give to someone that's battling depression, trying to manage, you know, everything well, being happy, finding joy in God? First of all, talk to your doctor. Make sure that there is not a hormonal imbalance or a medical situation that you need help with. If you need medicine for depression, it is okay. Like I said, we live in a broken world. Our bodies are not the way they're supposed to be. And so if you are struggling with depression, first of all, please talk to a doctor. Because sometimes if they're able to correct your hormones with medicine, that's all you need. The second thing I would say is talk to a biblical counselor. We have amazing men and women who have been trained in counseling. And sometimes life circumstances will cause trauma or abuse that then causes depression. And you need an expert, just like you need a doctor, who will help you talk through those issues. The third thing I would say is this, get outside every day. One counselor once told me, 
that he has seen more people overcome depression by walking outside for 20 minutes every day. Being in God's creation, being in the sunshine, being in nature, it just does something different to our bodies. Fourthly, I would say fill your mind with the truth of God's word. Eat his word like it is your life. Spend time with worship music pouring over your mind because our minds are so powerful. And our minds control our hearts. Our hearts control our actions and our feelings. So if you want to change your actions and your feelings, you got to change your heart and what you love which starts in your mind. And this is why Paul will say things like take every thought captive or transform your life by the renewing of your mind. So our minds are really, really powerful. And there's a, um, a famous quote that says, change a thought, change a feeling. Change a feeling, change the action. Change the action, reap the habit. Change the habit, reap the character. And so if you want a different character, it starts in your mind. So those are a couple of things that I would say I hope are really helpful for you. But I want you to know this. It's okay. There's a lot of people who are struggling with depression. There's nothing that's abnormal about you. You're not alone. And there are resources that can help you not stay that way because Jesus desires for us to live lives that are thriving and joyful and abundant and life-giving. He says the enemy has come to bring death and destruction, but I have come to bring you life. And so your creator wants you to live, and in doing that, you will have joy in him. Well, any last words you would like to share with us before we close out today? I'm going to be here. I'm not rushing off. Uh, Natalie is actually, go ahead, Natalie She that's I'm sorry, that's her nickname, Natalie Bird. She was born um, at 34 weeks, so she was this tiny little, little preemie, and she had these Tweety, this big blue eyes like Tweety Bird, and she would just open her mouth like this <laughs> to feed her. So she got the nickname Natalie Bird, and that's what I call her. But she's going to be, if you go right out these doors to the right, she's going to have all those coupon codes for you, and she's going to be passing those out. And then right there beside her on the table is more information about New Orleans Seminary. If anything I have said has just intrigued you today and you want to take a class, all of our classes are available online. My husband and I come to Florida a lot, um, or Alabama. We all are so close to everything. So stop by and pick up some of that stuff. And um, But then I'll also be here and am happy to talk if you've got any other questions that we didn't answer. Thank you, ladies, again for being here with us. Um, I just want to close this out in a time of prayer, and then you can spend some time fellowshipping and then stopping by her table as well. Father, we come before you again, thanking you for this beautiful day that you've given us, for the opportunity to gather together with like-minded women who are seeking you, who want to honor you with their lives. Lord, we are grateful that you are not sleeping, that you are alive, and you are walking this journey with us, that we are never alone. I pray that you would continue to fill us uh, with your Holy Spirit daily. May we honor you in our words and our thoughts and our deeds, Lord, and just go with us out from this place. Uh, may we continue to be obedient to you in the lives that we live. It's your name we pray.